Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. All right. There's this weird scene in Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham, uh, who has been adopted by God as his son and is going to be the father of many nations, the father of great nations that will be adopted by God, um, he has this nephew named Lot. And Lot has gone to live in a city uh, called Sodom. There are these twin cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And just before Genesis 18, Abraham meets these two visitors who are going into Sodom. And they're going to go see if there are any righteous people because God has determined to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there are Contrary to popular belief, there are multiple reasons that Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. Um, There are many reasons. Some of them are sexual. Some of them have to do with hospitality. All of them have to do with blasphemy of God in one way or another. So there's not just one reason that these cities get destroyed. And these two strangers that Abraham meets are going into the cities, and they're going to see if what God believes about these cities is really true, if they really are just as wicked as God thinks that they are. And Abraham there, knowing his nephew lives in this city, begins to plead with the angels of the Lord, begins to plead with God himself, actually. And he asks, um, if there are 50 good men, if there are 50 righteous people, will you not destroy the cities? And God says through his servant, Yeah, if there are 50 good people there, I won't destroy the cities. And Abraham says, okay, well, as long as I'm being bold, let me go one step further. If there are 20 good ones in the city, will you not destroy them? And God says, okay, if there are 20 righteous people in the city, I won't destroy it. And Abraham says, okay, now that I'm being a little cheeky, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, will you not destroy it? And God says, okay, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, I won't destroy it. So these two go into the city, and they investigate, and they find that, in fact, the city is as wicked as God believed. And they tell Lot, look, Lot, you need to get out of this city. You need to take your daughters and your wife, and you need to flee from the city. And when you do, this place is so bad, when you leave, don't even look back at the city. And as they're leaving, Lot's wife turns around to look back at the city and she turns into a pillar of salt. Because she has something within her that wants this city, that wants what was there still. And so for that desire, she faces the same judgment as the city. What Abraham does there with God is intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is there with this servant of God telling him that God has determined to destroy the city. And Aaron, Abraham right then offers an intercessory prayer on behalf of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
That's what that whole thing about 50 people, 20 people, 10 people is. Abraham feels for the people of the city, doesn't want to see them destroyed. And so Abraham offers intercession. This is the first intercessory prayer that we see in the Bible, but it's not the last. Over and over and over throughout Scripture, we see people interceding on behalf of others. That means going to God in prayer and contending with God for some other people. Some people they don't know. Others, people that they know and they care for. This happens again in the book of Job. You might know the story of Job. Job is this incredibly righteous, very wealthy man who Satan approaches God and says, hey, the only reason Job is a righteous man is because he's not suffered anything in his life and you've given him wealth. If you take away his wealth and you take away his family, I bet he'll curse you. And God says, go ahead, do your worst. And so Satan's able to take Job's family and take his wealth away. And Job has these friends who come around him. And these friends, are, you know, they're, they're well-intentioned, but they get God wrong on oh so many levels. And they get Job wrong on oh so many levels. And so they're trying to counsel Job and trying to help him through this tough time. But instead of just kind of sitting with him in his suffering and putting their arms around him, they talk. Which, if you know, like sitting with a suffering person, like the, one of the worst things you can do sometimes is talk. Just shut your mouth and be there with somebody. And so Job's friends don't do that. They start talking. And when they start talking, they're saying all kinds of wrong stuff about Job, about his family and circumstances, and about God himself. So at the end of the book of Job, when Job has contended with God, Job has argued with God, Job has yelled at God. By the way, Job is like blanket permission to be mad at God. God can handle your anger. It's okay. But God eventually just comes to Job and is like, hey, Job, um, We've been going back and forth for 40 chapters now. Uh, Did you create the earth? Did you make everything? No. So you need to just shut your mouth, buddy, because you're digging a hole. And so finally, Job says, I see. I'm humble. I accept it, God. I'm good. And then God tells Job, hey, your buddy said some really bad stuff about me. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to punish them. But if you will pray for them, their punishment will be light. If you pray for them, if you intercede for them, I won't punish them like I'd planned to for the things that they got wrong about me. And so Job does. He prays for his friends. He intercedes and we're told that God didn't punish them because Job interceded on their behalf. And then God gifts Job all the things that had been taken from him. His children, his wealth. In fact, he doubles it. And so we see in Job this this pattern of intercessory prayer. God calling Job himself to intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is something that we are absolutely told that we must do. We are called to intercessory prayer as followers of Jesus. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.1, Ephesians 6.18, other scriptures within the New Testament explicitly call us to pray for other people, not just ourselves. And some of us, we get so caught up in the things that are wrong in our own lives, we get so caught up in the struggles that we're having that we forget other people even exist. We become self-focused and self-centered in our struggle and in our suffering And we forget in our prayers that we are one of billions who are struggling in this world. 
And we can allow the, the struggles and the pains of our own life to so overwhelm us that we forget that it's not just my life, it's the world that is broken. It's the world that needs God's touch. It's everyone who needs something from God. And this next petition of the Lord's Prayer pushes us, moves us into the place of intercessory prayer. This is the place where Jesus intercedes for the world in prayer. And it's a really short line right here in Matthew chapter 6. Last week we talked about the beginning petition, God, may your name be honored as holy. And that was a, that was a cry to God that the world would honor God's name as holy and that I would honor God's name as holy. And the necessary next step is then to pray that God's purposes would be done in the world. And so that's what we see in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where we're going to camp today. This is our intercessory prayer from Jesus. To pray this prayer is to pray that God's purposes would be done everywhere in all time. This is the way that Jesus has called us to intercede on behalf of the world. To intercede on behalf of all of the brokenness of the world. And so we begin with your kingdom come. Your puts the emphasis on God. God's kingdom come. By saying God's kingdom come, we're saying I don't want my kingdom. I don't want my will. I don't want my purposes to be done. I'm looking for God's purposes. God's kingdom God's will. This immediately shifts our focus away from me, away from myself, onto God. We've just prayed, may your name be honored as holy. Now we're praying for the practical level of that. Okay, God, we want your name to be honored as holy. The way that we get there is for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's what we're asking for. We're saying explicitly, God, don't do what I want. Do what you want. Now, why would we pray that? Because I think a lot of us in this room probably have pretty good wants. We probably have pretty good desires for ourselves and other people. But we can't desire good like God desires good. We can't possibly desire good in the way that God desires good. Good. <laughs> the show my kids were watching yesterday. They they like this show, Superhero Girls, which is like, um, it's like the DC girl superheroes when they were in high school. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> Batgirl finds out that the Flash can go back in time. That if he runs fast enough, opposite to the rotation of the Earth, he can go back in time. And she had had this really embarrassing moment where she ate a burrito with a bunch of beans in it and the natural thing happened and she got super embarrassed. And so she needs to go back and make right this super embarrassing moment. And so she, she, gets, she connects with Barry, the Flash, and is like, hey, can you take me back? I'm going to swap the burrito in my locker. And he's like, yeah, okay. So they go back and they do it. They swap the burrito in her locker. And this, of course, gets Batgirl thinking. Well, what else can I change? There are so many things in my life I could make right that I can make better. And so they go back and they, they change all of this stuff. And when they come back to the present, 
the world is like falling apart. The apocalypse is happening. Like the world is being taken over by dictators and everybody's in chains and like everything's gone to hell because Batgirl went back and changed all the things in her life that she didn't like. And they keep going back to try and fix everything and every time they go back and they try to fix something, when they come back, it's even worse than it was before. Until Batgirl realizes it's the dang burrito. I gotta change that burrito again. The most embarrassing moment of her life, she had to endure in order to make sure the world didn't fall apart. And so they go back and they change the burrito back out. Now, this is ridiculous, right? Like, this is the butterfly effect writ large, right? But I think we learned something well from this. We learned something from this. Our actions have all kinds of unintended consequences. Our wants have all kinds of unintended consequences. We cannot see the way that any choice we make will branch off into any number of possible futures. We can't see how our wants and desires will affect the world. But God can. And so there are times when even things that we want that are good in the moment or that seem good for us in the here and now, God may be saying, no, 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 that's not my will because you can't see the unintended consequences of what you want. God may be saying to us, that's not a bad thing to ask for. But I see 40 steps down the line how that thing you're asking for right now will actually cause harm and pain to you or to others. And so we always submit our will to God. We dare not take under our own power and our own steam to say, I know what's best. I have the best plan. I know what's going to happen. Therefore, what I want must occur. Christians instead always begin, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because I don't know all the consequences of my wants and my actions. But God, you do. And I have this tendency as a human to look only at my life and how things might affect me. And I kind of forget how my wants might affect other people. But God, you always have everyone in mind. You always have the good of the world and your glory in mind. And so we always submit our will to God. We begin our prayer, your kingdom come. And we take the focus off ourselves and we put it where it belongs. We put the emphasis on God. But we're, look at what we're praying for. We're not praying for just anything. We're praying for your kingdom. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is anywhere that God rules and reigns Without, without pushback. I had a word, and it just, you ever had that happen, right? Your words just, yeah, right? Anywhere that God's reign is accepted, anywhere that God rules and reigns without pushback, without fighting, that's where God's kingdom is. Where God's rule and reign is perfect is where God's kingdom is. God's kingdom begins here, begins with you and me, begins with a, an admission of loyalty to our good King Jesus, to our God, our King. His kingdom begins with you and me in our hearts, with God ruling and reigning over us. That's what the submission of our will to his is all about. 
It's about pledging allegiance to God our King and saying, it's your rule and reign that we need in the world, not mine, not anybody else's. Your rule and reign is the one that will lead to flourishing for the world, not mine. And so we're praying for God's kingdom to come, for his absolute influence to rule over everything else. We want God in control as Christians. That's what we should be desiring more than anything else is for God to be in control because we recognize that things only work properly when God is in control. Things only go the way that they were meant to go, the way they were created to be when God is in control. And that's why we pray for his kingdom to come, for his rule and his control over everything. And so we ask that for the world. That is our intercessory prayer for the world. God's kingdom come, God's will be done. And you can take that really broadly and you can pray that over the world. You can pray for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come right now in the pandemic season. You can pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in government or in your workplace or in your home. You can pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done in all of these broad places. But you can also pray it individually for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors. This is the best you can pray for anyone. That God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in the lives of our family members, in the lives of our friends, especially in the lives of the people that we don't like. It's the most loving thing you can pray for another person that God's will would be done in their lives. And that his kingdom would come. Which is the same as saying, God, I really, I want so-and-so to bow the knee to you. I want them to know you, Jesus. I want them to become one with you, Jesus. I want them to follow you, Jesus. To pray for God's kingdom to come in the hearts of our friends and family is to pray that they would become followers of Jesus. The thing that we most desire for everybody around us. And so we pray this on a macro level, on a worldwide level, and we pray this individually as the most loving thing we can do as followers of Jesus in our prayer life, to intercede for our world and our friends and to pray that God's will would be done and his kingdom would come everywhere, in all places, at all times. That's what we want. And so we submit our will to align with God's purposes. Now there's a danger to this prayer. There's a danger when we start praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, and not mine. And the danger is that it may actually happen. And we're going to have to start living like it's true. It may be that as we begin to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, our desires change. Our ambitions change. What we want for our communities changes. The way that we love people changes because God's kingdom is coming to bear on our hearts and on our wills. It's a tragic fact that within many of our churches, we can pray this prayer for other people. But because we think we're okay, 
And because we like our lives as they are, we actually don't want this to come true for us. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in his life because it is a mess. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in her life because, Lord, she is hard to live with. Would your kingdom come and your will be done in this government because what they're doing is hurting people. And so we can apply this prayer outside of ourselves all the time and rarely turn it inward and say, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in me? Change my desires. Align me with your purposes. Jesus, rule in my heart because Lord knows I'm a mess and I'm hard to live with. And I don't know all the right policies to make things work the way they should. And I'm not as smart or as brilliant as I think I am. And I certainly ain't as good looking. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in my life? And then align my actions with that prayer. God, I want this to be more than just some heart truth. I want this to be more than get out of hell insurance. I want this to be more than some prayer I prayed years ago that bought me a ticket to heaven. I want this to impact my life here and now. I want this to make a difference and to mean something. Because if it doesn't affect the way that I live, if it doesn't affect the actions that I make and the choices I make, It doesn't mean anything. They're empty words. And so for us, the challenge is to pray this not only for them, not only for you, but for me. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Change my spending habits. Change my entertainment habits. Change the way that I raise my children. Change the way I interact with my community. Change the way that I care for the person I walked by on the street who's in need. Change the way that I spend my free time so that it glorifies you and sees your kingdom come. This is what it means to pray for God's will to be done in our lives. It's a dangerous prayer. Because it'll upend everything. But the life that it will lead us into is greater than anything we could pursue and seek on our own. The life that God calls us into is more adventurous, more fulfilling, and ultimately more life-giving than any choice we could make otherwise. And so to pray, God's kingdom come and will be done in my life is dangerous and will upend things, but it will lead me into truly eternal life, that quality of life that Jesus came to give us, where we breathe in the fullness of the life that God intended for us, where we breathe in the thick air of God's love and of his purposes and will. That's what it means to pray God's kingdom come and will be done. Let this be your heart's cry today. Just as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross, when Jesus said, 
to God the Father while sweating drops of blood in anguish over the stress of knowing what was going to happen to him, Jesus himself said to God, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus himself prayed for a different path, but in his humility and wisdom prayed, God's will be done in my life because he knew what it would mean for the world. He knew what it would mean for the world if God had granted that prayer and the cup had passed from him. And he knew what it would mean for the world if he walked the road to the cross. To the redemption that is ours only through Christ Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.